Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can, I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. Today's film is 99 Homes, which some of you might not have heard of. It's important that we talk about it on this podcast, and we will be talking about it with spoilers in mind, mostly because, for me, this is the evolution of two great actors. We've enjoyed them on Pod Me If You Can in the past. Michael Shannon, he was Zod in Man of Steel, we've also covered him in Midnight Special. Andrew Garfield, uh, you know, may have seen him in The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, or Never Let Me Go. But for us uh, on the podcast, we've talked about him as The Amazing Spider-Man, he's in The Social Network, and Hacksaw Ridge, which uh, we might cover in the future. This is a sort of brutal tale, Lloyd. Uh, how did you find 99 Homes? Thanks a lot, Dave. I had to watch this during Christmas, and it really <laughs> got me out of the Christmas period. <laughs> yeah, this is a very difficult uh, movie to watch, very raw direction by Ramin Barani, um, and virtuosic acting by Laura Dern and Andrew Garfield. I, I think this film is absolutely amazing. For me, like the authenticity of this film is in the performances. I absolutely was won over by the acting. And it made me think of that film Up in the Air with um, George, George Clooney. Clooney. And the fact that they, in all the firing scenes and all the discussion of um, people who'd lost their jobs... I felt like everyone they talked to that was losing their home or had lost their home... So authentic. Yeah. I felt like that was really happening to them all. And I don't have any idea, I don't have any figures or information in front of me, but I felt like they went and found people that this had happened to and candidly interviewed them. Um, I was very impressed by this film. It's a very relatable story because, you know, the Australian home and probably the American dream is to own your own home. Uh, the white picket fence and you know, have the family and, and live happily ever after, basically. You and I are both homeowners, Lloyd. So we can relate to Dennis Nash, Andrew Garfield's character, trying not to lose his house. I mean, this is a story that it transcends race, it transcends, you know, country, pol political ideas. And the way Michael Shannon's character handles himself oh is fascinating, gosh. wouldn't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think he's incredible. I think the greatest thing this movie does is that it humanizes <clears throat> the villain. And there are three, I feel, there are three villains in 99 Homes. And the first one is obviously Rick Carver, played by Michael Shannon. The first time we're introduced to him, he appears as this really cold-blooded executioner for the banks, the ultimate agent of the destruction of the American dream, as you say. And then we see little moments of humanity. For me, it starts when he offers the, offers the bottle of water he gives to Dennis as he cleans up the sewer-ridden house. And then we see his family and then the inner workings of his business. Uh, and then he develops this mentor relationship with Dennis and he reveals so much about himself. And I do feel that he it does seem like he wants the best for Ash and isn't just using him for a job, although that does seem like in the beginning, but it, it does feel like he wants to point this hardworking kid in the right direction. 
and wants to guide him to a more pro- prosperous direction. And I think the key scene, of course, for Carver is that monologue he gives to Dennis about his father, the roof tiler. And it's really highlights he's seen the failure of the American economy and wants to stay above that. He doesn't want to go down like his dad. And he has been hardened uh, by other people's disasters, including his father's. The interesting thing about Carver, Carver is that he's ripping off the government as well. Like yeah. he's ripping off the banks every chance he can get. So he's also the executioner for the banks, but he's also there, the worst criminal for them as he's eating them up from the inside. And I think the second villain is Dennis Ash, played by Andrew Garfield. I do think. Nash, he, yeah. Uh, is it a Nash? Or I thought it was Ash. Nash, yeah. Nash, oh, jeez, I wrote it down wrong. <laughs> he becomes the villain in the film. And what's brilliant about this movie is how much he's humanised. The villain is a moral man doing what he can for his family, but it's coming at the cost of others and his own soul. Like it's really breaking down who he who he was as a person. And his own family by the end of the film, they can't even st- stay in the same house as him. They can't do it. And the third villain, of course, is the unseen one, the, the banks, the governments, the endless faceless institutions of bureaucracy. The very system that runs people's lives is destroying them. And that's Raman Bahani's criticism of America is that everyone's gain is at the cost of others and it's a very anti-capitalist movie. It's it's so brilliant. Lloyd and I watched this film because it was 99 cents on iTunes, <laughs> I will say to start with, but it was also 99 cents for a reason because they recommended a series of independent films uh, on iTunes, which I was pleased about and I've watched quite a few of them since and um, several of them were really good. Uh, this one did sort of steal the show though, so... Um, Laura Dern, you know, uh, she's had some good success lately, but I was thinking, like, she's now playing the mother role. She's too attractive. Well, <laughs> she seems so young and attractive. <laughs> I was thinking, wow, to be Andrew Garfield's mother, and he has a kid as well, she's a grandmother, like, I was thinking maybe the casting was wrong. They had a quick line where she says, I was so young when I had you, mm. that sort of solves the casting. <laughs> <laughs> so it was something they had considered. She, she probably is of the age that that's believable, but she just, Laura Dern just looks so pretty and young. It's just like, oh, that's right, she's a grandmother. You know, you just have to really tell yourself that. Yeah, she has a youthfulness to her. Garfield, I thought, displayed, and I haven't seen Hacksaw Ridge. We've, we've got to do that on the podcast because no, now, now it's nominated for directing and Oscars. Andrew Garfield, who's up for now Best Actor in that field. Uh, interestingly, also, Michael Shannon's nominated these Oscars as well for um, Supporting Actor for Loving. So both of them are really hitting their stride. So Andrew Garfield, he has this desperation in his eyes when they're losing the house and he's saying he has to stand there, you know, while she packs up her underwear and stuff. That that was so extreme. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, that was very hard to watch. And what got me were a lot of the scenes and it was almost like a montage sequence of just people after people having to give up their homes and everything like that. Uh, it was really sad. The old person, he's got nowhere to go. Yeah. And he's just having to kick her. That was just so brutal. Just like, how can people do this? This is disgusting. He goes, oh, do you, do you have a place to go? Maybe I can drive you to the Salvation Army or something like that. It's just like, man, that guy physically can't, you know, that, that's just wrong. And I love that. It just kept, it keeps reminding me of that line 
from Rick Carver, like how does Rick Carver have so no empathy for these people? And he says something like, oh, you tell me why they've been able to live in a home without a porch for 29 years and all of a sudden they feel like they need a porch which they don't need at all and they take out a loan against the house which causes the foreclosure and then you blame the banks as well for even offering that to people who can't afford to pay it off and he's just the middleman really and he's just like, man, it's, oh, geez Louise. And seeing that guy at the beginning of the film has killed himself and he casually water off a duck's back, he just wanders out of there, really sets up for the ending as well of the film. I, I, yeah, I've got things to say about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sets up like how much value is a human life and has he lost his soul and can he let basically someone kill himself the way that Rick Carver does at the beginning of the film. Uh, it's interesting how he's got a gun the whole time like, and, and, yeah. and that guy is constantly calling him. Like every day threatening him and, and everything like that. That's just the price of his success that he has to live with all that hate. And I mean, the thing is, Carver is solid and he says, don't be soft and the law is the law. It's it's interesting because, I mean, obviously Andrew Garfield's character, Dennis Nash, he's been through this. He's sympathetic. You know, he's cheap labor and he needs this job. You watch him in a big montage, not able to get work. He gets offered $3,250 from Rick Carver this is huge, you know, it's real money, and it really makes a difference to him. Each one of the people in this film that's just doing their job, the sheriffs, uh, Rick Carver, everybody is just doing their job because all of them don't want to be in this position. It's like, how far will you go to maintain your lifestyle? That's right, and it's the institutions that, that that's a whole criticism of the film, it's the institutions that have manufactured these monsters. They've really, it's all about how capitalism dehumanizes uh, people and th th this is what it's a really harsh film obviously but yeah it's just w what effectively is happening to to the american uh, dream i found it so interesting when they were stealing things to sort of prove they were missing and then bringing them back you know and ripping them off and and it was interesting how many people uh nash can recruit into helping him do that and even when it becomes breaking and entering you know like there's gray area lines did they just hop over? Wasn't that an ugly scene? His son's birthday, and then that family moves into that motel, which I thought they would have moved out of mo that motel well before that scene. But yeah, no. yeah, that guy just comes out and starts, "Hey, you're the guy who kicked me out of the house," and that happens mm -hmm. in front of his kid and his and his mom, and he just oh, it was so hard to watch that. Yeah, it's hard to um, it's hard to believe they were still there while they were making. That yeah, money, no, it's just like I know. Uh, couldn't you have just rented an apartment like somewhere else? Like, why would yeah. you be staying there? Uh, I think this should have been one of the great movies of the decade, but it isn't. For me. I think this is a really, really, really good movie, but I wouldn't put in the top ten films of this decade. Because about when Dennis is in the bathroom thinking about whether or not to hand in the forged documents, this is towards the end of the film or not, um, that's where I think the movie should have ended. Uh, but it instead goes into one of the most melodramatic and hopeless scenes I've seen in a long time. I just find it strange that the whole movie is almost perfection and the last 10 minutes is just thrown out the window. I think it really hurt the movie for a number of reasons. Maybe the, the, there will be an investigation into Rick Carver's company and he will be punished. Dennis Ash will find redemption, or Nash, sorry. Uh, maybe there is hope for America at the end, but I just think it, it was just so bad. Maybe it was the acting of the, the 
actor with the gun is shooting all the cops. Uh, I, I just felt like it was, it, it just didn't feel like in the same tone or the same craftsmanship at the whole movie. It felt like the producers pushed Barani's hand and made him shoot those scenes. I, I don't... I, I, I just think that that ending shouldn't have been there. If Barani, if you're listening to this podcast, I can do a fan edit for you. I can cut it at the moment where the film should have ended and <laughs> I'll be very happy. <laughs> It'd be so simple to do. <laughs> uh, by the time they get to the final edit, they don't want to touch it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that ending with the full-on confrontation, you know, Frank has the gun and he says, I cheated you. I put a forged document in your file. This is your home. You know, this is your home. He's going for that non-violent solution as opposed to the start of the movie. But I can appreciate that it doesn't match in tone. And I mean, maybe you wanted to see a man lose his soul. Did you think yeah. like it would be... Well, I, it, w- the ending that I'm after is him in the bathroom deciding, thinking about should I hand in these forged documents and go with Carver or should I just throw this away and walk away from the whole thing? And that ambiguity would have been great. There's a guy in conflict with his soul. That's the end of the movie. But that's the ending I want. Obviously, audience probably wouldn't sit for that. Um, by having that, well, that's en- a non-ending, isn't it? Yeah, that's a non-ending. But to me, it's up in the air at that point. Um, but the ending that I ha- that that is projected in 99, 99 Homes is just too neat too much of a redemption quality and too American. It just didn't seem in tone with the whole movie, which was this almost flawless, relentless assault on the dehumanization of your, of, of human beings. And uh, just to have a melodramatic ending, it just didn't seem right. Did you like that ending? Um, now that you're talking about it, I'm not <laughs> sure it's right. Um, I, I, I went with it. The, f- the thing that won me over, I guess, was the shot of the kid looking yeah, in sure. the car. And you wouldn't get that moment without that scene. Also, I imagine Michael Shannon's character, Rick Carver, he goaded the man at the beginning into shooting himself. You know, I feel like he didn't put the gun into his hand, but he basically said, yeah, well, you know what, maybe you should, or like, you know, left him alone, like, and pushed him to the edge. He is in a way, I know they humanize him. They show his house, they show his girls. They show him freaking eating Ben and Jerry's ice cream, (laughs) which is how you know he's rich. Because that is not expen- uh, that is not a cheap ice cream, Ben and Jerry's, and I don't know if it's cheap in America, but it is imported in Australia, and it is like uh, nine dollars Australian per tub. So <laughs> I imagine sort of he pushed, you know, willingly, unwillingly, he pushed that guy to the edge because the deal and the like, the job and everything is more important to him. How many houses he owns and so forth. For this to then become Dennis Nash's like mentor. For him to say, okay, we're going to get 100 homes, you know? And the title is 99 Homes because of the events at the end of this film. Um, It probably would have needed a new title and it would have needed a a different ending, in your opinion. Yeah, but I think he he either has to become Rick Carver Jr., basically, take on and, like, you know, regardless of his family, he has to, like, live with it and say, well, this is how you get ahead in this world. You know, he has to be fully committed or he has to do what he did. Uh, I think you need to see one way or another. So would you have been happier if he was fully committed and let the guy shoot himself? No, I guess not. It would have just been too much of a downbeat ending. Because it's a pretty full-on film. Yeah, I would have went with the ending. Like if I had the option in that case scenario of the ending that I got and that ending where he becomes Rick Carver Jr., I would have chose what with what the movie, how the what movie we ended. Saw. Yeah, because it's just such a hard-hitting movie. You've got to just have a little bit of hope. I mean, that's that's mostly what 
why I went with it, I think, is because if you don't have that optimism at the end, you just leave and go, ugh, well. And imagine somebody somebody in that scenario who might lose their home and they're watching that film and going, shit, we're <laughs> fucked. <Yeah. laughs> you know, like you, you sort of want to say to people, there's flaws in the system, people, you know, get cheated out of this. And that, there was a bit of... Um, What's that film that, uh, the Bankers film that was um, out the other year? They had Margot Robbie in a bathtub. Can you remember the name of that? Oh, yeah, Shorts. The Big Short. The Big Short, yeah. It reminded me a little bit of that. There was elements of, like, um, the bank is going to foreclose on all these loans. You know, we were just seeing another sort of frontline version of it where, you know, people were getting kicked out of their homes. Well, I watched um, Up in the Air, The Company of Men, just before this, and all these movies are very important films about the effects of the global financial crisis in America. And another recent one was Hell and High Water uh, with Jeff Bridges, Banks of the Villains. It's a very, very good movie. Michael Mann as well with Public Enemies. But I, I think that film needed to come out just a little bit later to have more a bigger effect on audiences. Uh, when John Dillinger said to the customer, we're not here for your money, we're here for the bank's money. And he was kind of seen as this hero because the bank's in the American 20s and 30s really let them down with the depression and everything. And Dillinger's story has so much resonance with America today. For us in Australia, we didn't see any of this because our government, the Rudd government at the time, at the time was able to steer us clear of the financial crisis with his stimulus package and our resources were so... Uh, you know, exporting to China was so strong and so forth, although the banks do seem to be um, cracking. Uh, it, it is a very big subject in America, and they're still dealing with the effects of the financial crisis um, now. And uh, I think it's very important. Uh, it's a very interesting look that we're going to look back on these movies and just see at a ground level how this affected people. And I think that's a very important thing. Uh, Grapes of Wrath. For me, uh, the the John Ford film that came out in the 40s is probably the greatest movie I have ever seen about family struggling through economic hardships. I don't think I could mount up the courage to watch that movie again. It's so hard-hitting to me anyway. But every time I start to complain about work or money or any life problems, I just have to remind myself about films like The Grapes of Wrath. And and it just makes everything, gives everything a perspective. And to me, that's the power of cinema or a good book or a play or a song. It can really change your perspective and maybe your life. And at the end of 99 Homes, I was just like, man, I'm, I'm just so glad I'm not in financial crisis. I can still stay just slightly above it because it's so hard watching a lot of these scenes. It's, it's, it really throws you about this film. One of my favourite films, and it's, it's not a lot of people's favourite films, but it's, it's Denzel Washington in John Q. And in that film, he is a man whose son is going to die unless he gets a heart transplant. And he basically does everything he can do to raise the money. And it's this real, like, desperation, and it's shot quite grittily during uh, the time before he's his big final confrontation, and he has to do anything to save his son. And Garfield has that same desperation here. In the film John Q, he decides to hold up a hospital, like lock the doors, and his end game. quick spoilers here for John Q, if you're not going to see it. I think it's 2002 it came out, off the top of my head. He's got a gun, and he's basically going to try and make a doctor put a heart into his son so his, heart can, his son can live. And if it doesn't work out, his end game is 
he's going to shoot himself in the head and they, he wants the doctor who's in there, who's James Spader, who's playing the doctor, to put his own heart into his son so he'll live. And it's that kind of insane desperation, like, no matter what, I've got to do something about this. It's, it's captured in this film. Um, 99 Holmes has this kind of, you've got to do what you've got to do. You know, he's cleaning up sewerage out of a house. He's got to work for the devil, Rick Carver, even though when he's in his house, you can see his fancy pool, high ceiling, you know, Ben and fucking Jerry's, you know, he's got to do what he's got to do for his family and what matters to him. And in a way, everybody working a job they don't like is doing that. You know, they're going, well, I'm working this job. I don't love this job. But, you know, the the upside of this job is that I can have my life outside this job. They call it Putting... the grind. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not everybody gets to live their dream and not everybody can, you know, uh, go home to their gold-plated house, Trump. And um, <laughs> did you notice the Trump reference in this film? <laughs> uh, no. Uh, there's a bit where... He buys a house and Rick Carver says, easy there, Trump or Donald Trump or something. It's a quick throwaway line, but I'll bet they regret putting it in there. (laughs) Just so close to him being elected. It's interesting too, I suppose, that Rick Carver is going to have his house for 18 months and then flip it. And also he gets a new car during the, the film. Yeah. He seems very kind of, you know, everything is just fluid. You know, he's powerful without it mattering, you know. Um, uh, that desperation as well is there from the guy who's stealing power. You know, this is the guy that goes nuts, Frank, uh, by the end of the film. And water. Yeah, he's stealing power and water. And he says, you know, I'm not a thief. And there's he doesn't believe that he's, he's basically that person that steals bread to feed his family. You know, but the bread in this scenario is power and water. You know, given extreme situations, people do extreme things. And I think that that is captured in this film. I think it's a good achievement. I do want to ask you, though, what do you think happened to Connor's mum? I don't know. I, I, was, I was just about to ask you the same question. Uh, was there references to her just leaving? Like, there were high school sweethearts. He obviously had the kid very young. Or did she die or something? I, I must have missed that. For me, that's um, it's, it's unclear. I don't think it's said. I think it's asked a few times. Um, and maybe the implication is that she died. I think that is the missing piece of this film, Uh, I would have liked to have seen if he had a love story in there because for him to have somebody to emotionally bounce off at home that's not his mother or his child would have given him more room to grow this character, I think. I think it's something we missed, though, as well, but the fact that they didn't emphasise it enough that we didn't, we're not remembering it, yeah, Mm -hmm. it's a bit of a hole there. They they probably did mention it right at the start three or four times and we've both just forgotten. (laughs) It's entirely possible. I will say there's a great drinking game in this film every time he says family home. Non-stop, he says family, friends, family home. Like, you could play some drinking games with this and perhaps the film would be a little more pleasant. How awful <laughs> was that judge? You know, he's going at the beginning, going, oh, that, that that's my son there. That, that Look look at my son. He, go, he, yeah. he lives in that home and the judge has just seen it a million times before. And it's just, you know, again, what I said, it's you know, this dehumanization is brought on by the failure of the institutions of America portrayed here by banks and government agencies that enforce these policies. These We become so mechanical and we just enforce these laws and, and execute them and just the effects this has on human people is just disgusting. Well, as they say in the big short, you know, um, 
America bailed out the banks. They didn't bail out the people. And as they say in this film, America was built by bailing out winners, not losers. So the American people and the people in this film are treated very poorly compared to corporations. And there's a whole other podcast in this. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Get into. Um, I've got actually lined up um, Russell, Russell Brand's new um, film, which I think is all about corporations and corporate greed. His, uh, his novel, Revolution, is a really fascinating read if people are interested on this exact sort of stuff. Yeah, I wish there'd be... Like, I love how these movies like Company Men, like Up in the Air, like 99 Homes are at a ground level and showing the effects of the human of the human side. And we did see um, Wolf of Wall Street recently that came out, which is an, a new movie with Matthew McConaughey called Gold. It's soon to be coming out. Uh, but we have this, uh, the top level viewpoint of these guys who are just above it. You know, the, these guys who just run m- numbers left and right, not knowing that they're throwing lives left and right. They could liquidate a stock and all those jobs go affecting all those families. I would like to see more of a political film. You know, I, I think Oliver Stone is really the only guy that has that history, historical knowledge and that understanding of how government agencies work. But hopefully this Russell Brand film you're mentioning can get to more of that political element. Why did the Obama administration not punish the bankers? Like, are they just too big to fail? Why, when the uh, global financial crisis happened, there wasn't this big push for legislation and, um, I guess, policies that keep them in check for to stop these happen? The closest I can think of in that direction is Wall Street too, but that's really fantastical. You know, it's it's a, it's more about Gordon Gecko than it is about the the institution and 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 things like that. I shouldn't say that. It, it, it did cover the institutions pretty well, actually. <laughs> uh, for this director, Raman Bahar Barani. I think so, yeah. There's nothing else listed that he'll be directing next. So um, one to watch, certainly. And I think this is a great achievement, but um, no idea what he'll be into next, unfortunately. And uh, Michael Shannon, man, he's he's amazing. Like, uh, he, oh, he yes. just blew me away. Again, everyone in this film was just phenomenal, but there's just something about Michael Shannon's presence. It's so strong. Something about it, the way he just looks through any actor. They, they just seem to disappear um, when he's on screen, although Andrew Garfield does an amazing job in this film. But um, I can't wait to see uh, another Michael Shannon movie. I think he's going to be amazing. Well, Andrew Garfield's also in Silence, which we're yet to see in Australia. Scorsese's new film. Michael Shannon, he has uh, seven films in post-production and some filming, so he's not going anywhere soon. Hollywood's realised he's a solid actor and yeah, he's been doing good work, you know, since well before we've been talking about him on this podcast. So nothing to worry about there. Speaking of things this podcast is doing, we've got uh, some interviews coming up. We've got uh, a fresh month of content on our YouTube channel coming up. On our YouTube channel, we always cover obscure films with famous people in them. And I'll just mention one that I've done recently. Uh, Satisfaction is the film from 1988, I believe, 89. And it stars Julia Roberts in one of her first film roles. Uh, the film also has Liam Neeson. And uh, it's about a girl band that forms over summer and plays basically like an elite kind of uh, holiday destination where rich kids are holidaying for the summer. And it's really interesting to find these obscure films, isn't it, Lloyd? Yeah, absolutely. 
I mean, we always find something with somebody famous in it. So you're watching, you know, young Keanu Reeves. You're watching young Kiefer Sutherland. You're watching young Julia Roberts or whomever. Seeing the steps that led them to become a famous actor. Um, have you got anything you want to plug here of your upcoming ones? Um, the, the ones that are coming out soon, I guess. Uh, I got another Jennifer Love Hewitt movie, I guess, because I've had such a long crush with her. I just have to cover all the early films. <laughs> the most obscure ones that I didn't... Um, take on um and then some films that i revisited that were so obscure i remember them being good and then i watched them again go, oh this is terrible like brain scan oh i thought that was a terrible movie and that's written by an incredible writer and directed by a very good director as well it's just like oh terrible but yeah i'd say 90 percent of the movies we cover on that youtube channel are just terrible terrible movies so watch our review don't bother watching a lot of them <laughs> And I can absolutely vouch for that. Often I try and include the bits in the review that you would enjoy in the film and then you don't have to watch the movie. You can just watch our five to ten minute review. This is the thing where while we're running this podcast, the audio version, and we're putting in all the current recent films, you know, we did Live By Night, uh, Ben Affleck's new film recently, La La Land and so forth. While we're covering off the more recent films and the ones that we want to check out and are critically acclaimed, our YouTube channel actually seems to be filling up with all the films you'll never want to watch and the, the complete opposite of the spectrum. Though every now and then we do find a gem and uh, also, I mean, we feature some uh, interesting discussions that we've had on the podcast there as well. So if you have a YouTube channel, uh, sorry, a YouTube account, check out our YouTube channel and uh, give it a look. All the links to our old podcasts, everything we've done with Michael Shannon and uh, Andrew Garfield, as I mentioned, Social Network, Spider-Man, uh, Man of Steel, Midnight Special, so on. Everything is at podmeifyoucan.com and you can find a link to our YouTube channel there. We'll talk to you next time on Pod Me If You Can. Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews.